Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Parenting Culture Podcast, a podcast where we have inclusive and diverse conversations about parenting. I am Dr. Anjali Ferguson, and I am coming to you today with a really exciting episode on bilingualism and how we raise bilingual children. We'll be joined by my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Ariana Howitt, who is a pediatric psychologist with expertise in primary care. Dr. Howitt immigrated to the United States as a teenager from Venezuela, so her um, therapy and cultural experiences are really informed by her immigration journey. She also brings that culture to her parenting. So we often have conversations about how we integrate our culture into our everyday lives with our kiddos. So today we're speaking specifically about language and language development and what it's like to raise a bilingual kiddo in a English dominant culture. So tune in and let's hear from Dr. Howitt. Hello. We are so excited to talk to you guys today about bilingualism and how bilingualism can impact our parenting and what we can do as parents also to kind of support that development. But first, I really want Dr. Howitt to tell us a little bit about herself and what brings her here to parenting culture. So I am um, an early career psychologist. I work in pediatrics um, and uh, I am an immigrant myself from Venezuela. And so I grew up speaking Spanish and then I started learning English when I was eight. Um, So I am bilingual myself and I have a brother that is 10 years younger than me and got to really see that. little baby and child growing up and speaking two languages at once and how important that was. And so now that I'm a mom of a two-year-old, we made the decision early on that we were going to raise her bilingual. Um, And so that's why I'm excited to talk about what we're talking about today. And I'm super excited about parenting culture because we talk about topics like this. Unfortunately, in, in the world of psychology, there's not a lot on parenting for kiddos that have multiple cultures, um, of kids that are raised by immigrant parents in the U.S. and just talk about different diversity topics. So that is what makes parenting culture so great and unique. Yep. Awesome. We're so excited to have you a part of the team. And just a little backstory too. Parenting Culture started well before Dr. Howitt and I even became mothers ourselves. It was something we talked about often in the work that we did. And she's one of the brainchilds behind the project too, that really helped kind of support its development and where we are now. Um, and I think now that we're both parents ourselves and how are dealing with all of these complexities in our everyday life, it gives us even more insight into how needed these conversations are. So really appreciate both your expertise and your lived experience as you're doing this with your own sweet little. Um, Also background, Dr. Hoden and I went to graduate school together and we have known each other a very, very long time, played critical roles in each other's lives. And our babies are just a day apart, which is bonkers and wild in so many ways. (laughs) People thought we planned it. We didn't. (laughs) Um, But here we are with with two little ones who are 
just over two. Um, and as Dr. Howitt mentioned, she's been working on building bilingualism within the household ever since her little one was born. Um, I myself was raised in a bilingual home, thought I would do the same. It's been a little tougher <laughs> on my end. Um, but we're talking about this term bilingualism just so that we can ground all of ourselves and make sure we're all on the same page. Dr. Howitt, can you tell us a little bit about what we mean when we say bilingualism? Yeah, so bilingualism is speaking two languages. We have the term monolingual, which is the one language, bilingual meaning the two languages, and then multilingual are the people that speak three or more. Awesome, awesome. And how might being raised bilingual or why might being raised bilingual be important for a child or a family? So for me, it started with the importance of keeping the culture identity in the home. So I really wanted my daughter to grow up with the culture of Venezuela and being Latina. And so language is, of course, one of those big factors when it comes to cultural identity. Um, I also wanted her to be able to communicate with my family members. I have a lot of aunts and my grandparents that only speak Spanish. And so again, I, I can't get her enough connected with the culture if she can't communicate. And so that was a big part of it. And then scientifically, there are a lot of good things if, if you are speaking more than one language. So um, it's good for your cognitive flexibility. It's good for memory. But then also, um, I just recently learned that it can also be really good for your social skills, which was surprising to me. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. So when it comes to memory, how might being bilingual help with memory? So I think the idea is that because you're holding those two languages in your brain, you're adding to that flexibility and it just allows you to better remember things as you're learning them. It, it's, it's part of that. Um, oh, I don't know the word. Flexibility. Um, yeah, the I was going to call it the neuroplasticity, but I feel like that's different. But it is part of that flexibility as you're learning. Yeah, it is fascinating to see how bilingual kiddos, you know, I think there's so much of a misconception so many times when it comes to bilingualism or multilingualism. Oftentimes our brains, like for whatever reason, society has told us that it may be associated with negative things. Like maybe they're not developing as well, or they're not smart enough, or they're not, you know, educated enough when really the data shows that folks that are bilingual have so much mental flexibility and their brains are working so much harder in such cool ways. Um, it's almost a shift that we as society have to do too, in how we think about immigrant families or bilingual families even. And how we measure their intelligence, right? Their ability to communicate. Because even right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm struggling to come up with words, but that's because I may be thinking in those two languages. And so we measure intelligence with uh, tools that are created for English speakers. So right there, we're already at a disadvantage. And then even the communication and word retrieval can be tough, but that doesn't mean that there's, like you said, other things going on behind the scenes in, in a kid's brain or an adult um, once they speak those different languages. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I think it all harkens back to much of what we look at when we think of education intelligence. The markers for that are very, what we would call Eurocentric or kind of white dominant approaches, monolingual kinds of approaches. And we measure intelligence by like speed of which we communicate or speed of interpretation and comprehension rather than um, actual comprehension and retention. Um, So that is Always fascinating. And you mentioned the the social piece too. So I'm sure many folks are curious, but how would bilingualism, you kind of hinted towards it when it came to being a part of your own communities, your um, family and Venezuelan communities, but how might bilingualism help a child socially? You know, I mentioned that was something I recently learned. So I don't know the the scientific reasons, but when I think about the cultural piece, I think about how it just allows you to understand when you're learning a language, you're also understanding a part of the people that speak that language, right? Um, You're also able to communicate with the people from those cultures and backgrounds. And so it's just building that understanding, empathy, Um, and those connections that are really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excuse me. Um, How, like, what are some challenges that come with this? Like I, I hear, I've seen you kind of raise your little one to be bilingual and I love it. It's so great. Um, And it's, it's amazing to watch her go back and forth between two languages. Um, But there are, I imagine, challenges that come with trying to take that approach. Again, even if we think of us being a part of like a white dominant, Eurocentric dominant culture. And I just think of even the challenges that we've hit within our own household. You know, I grew up South Asian. My family speaks Kannada at home and Hindi is the national language in India. So we were exposed to three different languages growing up um, in various different ways. And even between my brother and I, so I actually speak a little Kannada. I understand a lot of Kannada. I understand a lot of Hindi. I don't speak it as well. Um, but my brother couldn't, couldn't tell you a single word from either Canada or Hindi, um, and trying to raise my son too. I started off, I tried, you know, with little words of like what water is in Canada, how you say no, how you say more. And over time they've just fizzled away. And part of it, I would imagine is my partner doesn't speak Canada or Hindi well, or he doesn't really know it at all. Um, so the only word that has stuck is water <laughs> for Canada. That's the only thing we consistently say. But tell me a little bit, both like from a scientific perspective and your own experiences, what are some challenges that come with raising a bilingual child? I think the biggest challenge is exactly what you said of raising a child in a society, in a culture that's speaking a whole different language, right? So we're growing up speaking Spanish in the home. And I I am lucky that my husband does speak in, uh, Spanish. And so we both speak Spanish to Mila, but she goes to daycare. And so that's all English and um, anything that's on the radio, TV, things like that. Although now we're lucky that we can pick Spanish when we put on Disney plus or things like that. So that allows us to control the media a little bit. But I think the hardest piece is um, kids start to 
reject the home language when all their peers are speaking English. And so they want to speak the same language as everyone else. She's not at the age yet where she can tell that she's different by speaking Spanish. So, you know, she still uses her words in Spanish at daycare and it's cute because the kids are learning from her. They all call bread pan now at daycare. And so they're using some of the Spanish words. But I can, I know, and, and I saw it with my brother that it will get to a point where they don't want to speak that home language anymore because it makes them different. I think right now what's hard is that she is developing language. And so when she was first learning any word, I didn't want to discourage that language, no matter the language, English or Spanish. And so we just went with whatever language she used. So if she would use an English word like eat, we would say eat. And then everything else would be in Spanish. We would repeat back the eat, okay, and then turn back to Spanish. Um, as she developed more words, now that she's kind of putting two or three sentences together, we will still repeat back the word in English, but then I've started to say, and in Spanish, you say, mm-hmm. and she has surprised me because I didn't think she would be ready for that. And she is getting it. She's getting the two differences between this is the English word and this is the Spanish word. And so we try not to correct her. We try to allow her to learn in both languages, but make sure she's still exposed to the Spanish version. When she is older, we will get to a place, which is what we did with my brother of no te entiendo, I don't understand you and really stick to making her use her Spanish at home when she gets to that stage of wanting to reject it a little bit. And we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Fingers crossed, right? Yeah. Yeah. With Along with what you're saying, you know, I, I imagine some of that language rejection piece comes with identity development too for kiddos. You know, it's like normative with our cultural identity developments to go through a period where we reject our home cultures and we kind of want to aspire to more Eurocentric demands or needs or of what's success and what's aspired to. Um, so that's all normal or normal normative process to get us to that side of healthy cultural identity development. But any thoughts or ideas of, of how parents can navigate some of those challenges when they're trying to maintain the bilingualism and also support like cultural pride? Yeah, I think it starts from the moment they're born is exactly what you just said, cultural pride, teaching them about their culture, teaching them about um, like my home culture, having them spend time with family members, being exposed to traditions, food. So language is just one piece, right, to all of it. And so being able to um, help them foster that pride and identity for themselves and then learn to navigate the dual identity because in reality they're growing up with both they're growing up with the home culture and then they're growing up with the culture that they're being exposed to at school and so I think we have learned that having a child be completely um, in the group of only their home culture and rejecting the their um peers and and school environment, that's not healthy either. Mm -hmm. Uh, And same thing for the other one, when they're rejecting their home culture, now they don't have that sense of identity. They're more at risk for discrimination and racism and anything that may come up in the school in terms of bullying. And so we want to help them be able to navigate 
both and feel like they belong in both worlds. And, and it depends on what's going on and the context of that moment that matters the most. I love that. I think that's such a helpful reminder for folks is it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be one or the other, but really healthy cultural development is when we're able to navigate home and majority society and we're not under distress when we're doing either, right? And we can pick from each what's a part of our own identity. Um, So I, I love that reminder for folks. How, I mean, how do you think it directly impacts you as a parent, like wanting to raise a bilingual child, how does that impact your day-to-day parenting, let's say? I think right now it hasn't much besides that constant thinking, like, how do I help her develop language, period? Like, do I stick with my Spanish or do I um, push, push or, or just reflect back her English? So, so far it hasn't impacted much. I will say in, in the future, that's where I expect a little bit of that, um, pushback that, that I expect to get of only wanting to use English. And, um, I don't want her to develop a resentment towards Spanish or the culture, but I also don't want to just give up and be like, okay, we're going to speak English now. Right. So that's going to be a really hard balance. And honestly, until I go through it, I don't know how it's going to go. Yeah, absolutely. It is such a fine line to walk, I'm sure. And then it forces you to be so intentional in like your conversations and your thinking of, of how much is too much pushing, how much is enough and also giving her her own freedoms and autonomy and developing. It's hard. Mm -hmm. One thing we talk about a lot is my husband and I speak English to each other and we speak Spanish to her. But at some point, we do think that we're going to have to make just the language at home be Spanish and everyone's going to have to speak Spanish so that it's not, you know, hypocritical to be like, you only get to speak Spanish, but we're speaking English to each other. So that'll be interesting because I think it, I don't, it's not so much parenting, but the, the marriage piece, right? Communicating in a language that's not comfortable for Drew, he, he speaks it well, but it's not his comfort language. And so interesting. Yeah. That's a great point of the added, excuse me, a great point of the added challenges too, of, of if you are married to someone who doesn't speak the same language, you do the considerations of how that could impact your parenting within the marriage. And then also, you know, stressors or anything else that comes along with that. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I do want, if anyone's listening, that is, you know, they're the only one that may speak a language. Like you mentioned, you're the only one that speaks Canada at home. Like I have cousins that um, grew up speaking Spanish to mom, Dutch to dad and English at home and speak all three languages. Um, So even just the exposure, even if it is just hearing the water, you know, the, the, the sounds um, exposing them to the, movies or songs or books in a different language, that's still really important and really helpful. So I do think even if you can't make a, an environment that's fully one language, like I hope to make it still helpful to, to have just a few exposures to that language. 
Sure. Yeah. I appreciate that reminder too. Um, and, and it was something I always talk to my husband about too, is we, I mess with him and I make fun of him a little bit because he can't really roll his R's like you do in many non-English languages. And he tries like, God bless him. He tries, but <laughs> it just doesn't sound the same. And it's actually like a structural thing too. So there's a little bit of like research and data on if you aren't exposed to those sounds as a baby in early childhood, then your brain goes through like natural pruning processes where it's normal for our brain to kind of prune out parts that we're not really using or connecting, or, you know, we're not building those synapses and in language development, it sometimes happens the same way where if you're not exposed to the sound, then your brain doesn't know it needs to learn how to make that sound. Right. And so then it gets harder to learn how to make the sound as you get older, because even your ability to like motor, like use of your tongue and placement and stuff just gets harder. Um, so I always said to him, even before we had a child, I was like, I want to talk to the child in Canada because I need them to be able to roll their R's and make the noises, the <laughs> noises that my husband can't make, you know? Um, and so that was really a part of like why I started when, when Jay was so young. And, and again, my husband tries, but it sounds so different when he does it, but Jay can do it already, you know? Um, so I think that's an important reminder too. And that's a helpful reminder from you even saying exposure to media, exposure to music, and just those little pieces still have those imprints, you know, neurologically too, I think. So <clears throat> that's super helpful. While we're talking about development, you know, I think a lot of times there is a misconception maybe, or um, people like to think or believe that being exposed to multiple different languages in the home could potentially impact a child's development. Can you talk about that? Are there any impacts? Mm -hmm. There are not. And that is something I didn't know. I, I heard my whole life that when you are teaching a kid a language at home that's different from their learning language, school language, that they were going to be delayed, but then that they would catch up and that they would be, again, like the cognitive flexibility benefits and all of this. So even when we decided to use Spanish at home, I thought that she was going to be behind and that eventually she would catch up. And it wasn't until later that I learned that actually, no, that's not true, that children who speak more than one language are still going to hit their language development around the same age as other kids. Um, and I, I found that so interesting because I do think it's a common misconception that we hear. Absolutely. I think a lot of our educational system is built off of that misconception is that, you know, I think that's why we have things like English as a second language programs and so not the sole reason. I think that is a beneficial resource for ling English language learners. But I think there again comes this negative stigma with bilingualism or multilingualism, where if you're learning multiple languages, people think you're just behind educationally. Yeah. yeah. Which is just so interesting that here you are like able to communicate in two different ways, but somehow that has meant you are less smart or less capable. Yeah. I actually saw this really interesting tweet or meme several years ago that was talking about one of the, the royal 
children. I think it was like Princess Charlotte. And it was talking about how she can speak three different languages. And it was really applauded as being brilliant for her age. And she was three or four at the time. And then somebody subtweeted, okay, every immigrant child can do that. Um, Why is it so amazing when Princess Charlotte does it, but every immigrant child is navigating that already in some capacity, you know, even if their expressive language isn't as great, a lot of times they receptively can understand multiple languages. Um, But that's what that makes me think of is, and if we're talking culturally, standards are a little different sometimes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's so normal for some people to grow up speaking multiple languages. Um, But yes, the, the, the Western culture sees that as like, wow, (laughs) you know, you're so smart. Um, whereas other people just grow up naturally speaking those multiple languages. Yeah. Well, this has been really wonderful. I know of several folks just even within my own communities that grapple with how to raise bilingual kids and how to navigate that discussion. Any takeaways or tips or like something parents can be thinking of or they can be doing if this is a topic for them? I think... Don't be afraid, like we were talking about, to expose your child to just the sounds and just the language. Um, You don't need to speak it yourself. So look for movies, you know, most streaming devices now, you can change it to whatever language um, you're thinking about. Well, not whatever language, but Spanish and French and some of those common um, languages in the U.S. um, are available. Um, And then if you do speak uh, a second language, Um, just remember what we mentioned earlier that the child may reject it. And so stay strong and try and keep exposing, try and keep speaking to them in that language so that they're at least hearing it and understanding it. That's great. That's great. Exposure and staying strong. (laughs) I feel like (laughs) that's a big message we send through most, most of our content really is exposure to many different things. And then, being firm in yourself and your identity and just kind of staying strong with that um, and letting them go from there. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this was great. Thank you so much, Dr. Hoett. We really appreciate, again, your expertise and your lived experience and everybody joining in, you know, please follow along on social media. Dr. Hoett often posts about her journey. You'll get to see little Mila engaging in different things here and there with some of our content. Um, And we just appreciate you all being here and listening, but as always follow us on parenting culture and thank you again for being here.